welcome to episode three of Ideas Without Borders, the Engineers Without Borders podcast series uh, run here at the University of Waterloo Engineers Without Borders chapter. I am working on getting this introduction nice and short, but um, today's podcast is about first year uncertainty and the transition from high school uh, into first year university. My name is Simon Lin. I am currently in 2B Environmental Engineering at the University of Waterloo, and I am co-hosting this episode with two of my fellow colleagues um, who are going to introduce themselves right now. Yeah. So my name is Nick, and I am in my first term, so 1A of Computer Science at Waterloo. My name is Ty, and I'm a 4A Systems Design Engineer. Cool. And so uh, to give a quick introduction of how this podcast will be running. Uh, we, I have two, two uh, of my colleagues here uh, to provide a commentary on four interviews that were conducted uh, as part of a fourth year design project uh, to essentially gauge the thoughts and feelings of uh, first year students and their decisions on choose going into the programs that they're that they're currently in, and um, so we're going to start off with a really quick description on um, the themes that we've we've picked out from each of these interviews, as well as a description of the fourth year design project which inspired this recording. So Ty, do uh, being in this fourth year design project team, do you want to give us a quick description on the, sort of the motivations for your project, the, the goals, and I guess the progress that you've made so far. Right. So I think that high school students, when they're trying to choose a university program, they have a lot of information available online, but they don't necessarily use it because they find it overwhelming, just the sheer volume of the data that's available. So what we're trying to do is make the process, try to make the process easier for high school students to find information about university programs and also careers so that they can create some kind of pathway towards their ideal career. I guess it's difficult because high school students, they kind of, they're thrown into this, into this like chaos where they have to figure everything out from without necessarily knowing what the future is going to look like. And what we figured was that maybe perhaps it would be easier if the high school students started off with searching for their ideal career based on their interests and then walk backwards from there and then figure out what kind of university programs map to that career and also what kind of high school courses you need to take in order to set yourself up for those, those university programs. So by first finding the career and then walking backwards to create this pathway towards that career, we believe that high school students would have a much better idea of how to get there. Would you like to comment anything on the progress of your, your design project right now? Yeah, so we do have some preliminary designs for what the user interface is going to look like. Uh, we have kind of defined, because it's going to be a web application, that basically our goal is to, like I mentioned earlier, that there are existing solutions out there, as in like there are websites that try to provide students with all this information. Mm. But um, what we're trying to do is create a web application that kind of takes the best features of those websites and on top of that, add our own features so that we can make, create like some kind of personalized experience for students to find the pathway mm -hmm. towards their career. So the outcomes today are 
like I mentioned, the UI mocks, right. and also the software architecture for the web application. Mm. Cool. That's awesome. The commentaries made for this podcast will be looking at the different, I guess, aspects or considerations high school students often have to face when they're making these decisions. And as you'll see from segments of each interviews we've conducted, these themes are in fact very real, in some cases very relatable if you're listening. And hopefully by sticking around in this podcast, you'll be able to uh, have some food for thought and uh, some hopefully some perspective to keep in mind. Likewise, if you are currently a high school student listening to this, uh, we hope that this helps you in your university program selection process and that uh, you take more steps in uh, acquiring information to make a better informed decision. So outline the themes that we're going to cover today. We have human connection and program prospects, the competitive nature of programs in university, pressures on the individuals coming into the programs from things like parents or, I guess, communities, friends, and other sources, expectation versus reality of both the university experience as well as the program itself, and the last one being strategic decisions on where to go for university or where to go for college, what you're going to do, when you're going to do it, and how everything would play out in, I guess, worst-case scenarios. One thing that I would like to mention before we dive into this commentary is uh, the fact that we, as a chapter here, have other episodes of podcasts existing, one of which is a reflection of first-year by engineering students here at the University of Waterloo. And if you're curious on as to uh, what kinds of challenges that are likely to be encountered during first year uh, engineering, uh, unfortunately just engineering for that episode, uh, I encourage you to go check it out on our SoundCloud at Ideas Without Borders, EWB at UW. Okay, without further ado, let's dive into the commentary. I am a 1A systems design engineering student here at the University of Waterloo. Do you think that the process for choosing your program could have been easier? And if if so, how so? Yeah, I, I think it definitely could have. Um, for me, the most like helpful thing in choosing my program is I knew a lot of people who had done it already. So I could get the first-hand experience from talking to them versus a lot of other engineering programs I didn't know people in. So then I was naturally biased to the people who were enthusiastic about their program versus like a static HTML page, right? (laughs) So I think maybe if you had like testimonials or like people you can talk to about your programs, you're always going to be more informed than just reading things about it because, you know, especially um, for us in Alberta, you're choosing the program you want to do at the same time you're writing like exams, right? So you don't want to read a bunch of stuff about your program even though it is the next five years of your life. Making yeah. the content engaging was definitely like having people and like a human element to it made it a lot easier mm-hmm. than just like okay Google some stuff yeah. and then and then pick and so for me that was that was a big thing. Does being in your program constantly stress you out? You think like is the environment you're in? Do you think it stresses you out at all? Like the peers you have, like stuff like that. 
Uh, no, definitely like um, systems is a really small program, right? So we have the same class, same people every day, and so there's a really like family dynamic about it. Like even last night, everyone's studying for calculus, but we all got together, cooked dinner, and like had what we call family dinner night, where Aww, we just nice. sort of help each other do homework and cry about things being hard. So. Like, yeah, it's it's stressful because of the content, but definitely not because of the people, right? The people actually are what help reduce the stress because you can sort of interact with them. On, on the other hand, though, because you do know everyone so well, you are very aware of sort of where you're standing in the classes, right? Like, you see your marks aren't crowd marks, and you sort of know who's where and stuff like that, and like where you're sort of ranked. And so that can be a little stressful, sort of knowing where you stand. But it's also good that you can sort of reach out to those people and get help, so it's a bit of a double-edged sword. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And I know, um, just kind of as a side note, that University of Wangi kind of has a, like, reputation for being quite competitive and definitely in its engineering program. So do yeah. you think, like, that competitiveness, like, you see, like, different people's marks on Crowdmark, like, does that ever, like, if you think that you were at a different position, maybe, that you would feel like you would need to, like, do better and, like, try to, like, you know, like, how do you think it makes you feel if, like, you didn't do as well as you wanted to compared to everyone else? Well, I think, I think emotionally it's not helpful, but I think academically it is helpful, if that makes sense. Like, yeah. when you see that you are, you know, in the body, bottom, like, 30% or whatever like that, it, it's a little bit sort of demoralizing. You're like, oh, wow, I suck at this. Why am I even here? Right? And so, like, that part really sucks because you know you're doing worse, but then like you know because sometimes people tell you like oh c's get degrees don't expect more than a 70 and when like a 70 is that bottom 30 percentile mark then you know that like you do need help and sort of the worst situation to be in is to think you're fine and not go get help then the alternative is just being like oh well i was expecting my marks to drop anyways when really they shouldn't have been and so while it does suck it's kind of like a necessary suckiness to sort of push you to get where you need to be. Um, but I find, like, in terms of that competitive spirit, it's it's not it's not like people look down on you for having, like, the bad marks. Everyone comes from sort of a different educational background. There's things that we don't learn in other provinces. So when you see those rankings, it's more, it's more for that reason of letting people who need help know that they need to go get it than, like, people being like, oh, haha, ha, look at those kids at the bottom. They're dumb. Like... <laughs> No one really cares that much. The first really major theme that she mentioned in her interview was human connection and the importance of gathering perspectives on university programs uh, when you're still in high school. Yeah. Okay, so I think one thing that she definitely mentioned was how she chose her program a lot because of the fact that she knew a lot of people in systems design and engineering. And because of that, she decided to go into that program. However, we were thinking that, you know, what if she uh, knew more people in software engineering? What if she knew more people in different engineering disciplines? Would that have impacted her decision? So I think that's a really interesting thing in the sense that definitely a big impact on how people like have a perspective on what program is right for them is dependent on the type of people that they talk to. And it's, it's really interesting how that means so much more than just, say, like a pamphlet or an informational flyer you get at essentially university outreach events, right? 
Yeah. Just being able to talk to somebody who's been down that path makes so much more of a difference on your impression for this for for trying to go into that program. And yeah, maybe maybe they should change the outreach experience like entirely. What if they just instead of sending ambassadors that work professionally for the university? Yeah. What if they sent students instead, undergraduate students, to to do that? And like, I'm I'm sure in some cases that's that's happened where they send actual yeah. students from like say a faculty of environment or a faculty of science, that sort of thing. And but yeah, they're definitely students. So I mean, like, they can't just be like transvising across yeah. all the country, like going to different high schools and like helping out, right? Exactly. But I mean, yeah, like definitely, I think having a person who's in the program currently talk about why they like the program versus some like higher up ambassador or something that isn't really necessarily part of that program saying, oh, this is why the program's great. Like it has yeah. way different amount of effects. So yeah, maybe like they could possibly even do like a Q&A thing online so you could have like a more global outreach so anyone can ask questions oh, yeah. to someone who's like in the program. Yeah. I know one thing I, I did quite often when I was trying to get insight on different programs in university was I actually called up some of the alumni from my high school in those programs and, yeah. you know, like set up meeting times with them. Like so often when I was, because I'm from BC as well, I arranged Skype calls with people say at like UFT or like University of Waterloo or McGill. And I just sat down and had a chat with them for like 30 minutes or so. And that for me was so much more meaningful than sitting at an info session run at my high school by an ambassador that is, was not a student. Yeah, for sure. But yeah, um, the other the other interesting segment for this interview with Maggie was that uh, the the people in the program, at least from her perspective, was a sort of like an antidote to the stress, mm. the the intense environment academically for her. And I was wondering, like, for because she's you're also in, in systems mm -hmm. uh, type. Um, does this hold true for for smaller class sizes, or would you say that class size is not a factor? And it's more of a matter of like how how many people you're closely associated with in the program. Right. So I think class size definitely helps, I guess, people within the program to better connect with each other. Mm -hmm. um, but I think with systems, it's more about the culture that's been passed down through like generations, because we always try to keep it like tight knit. Like, okay. and operate like a family so we're always looking after each other looking out for each other I guess hmm. so and I think that really helps with the the stress that you get from assignments exams and projects and I, I think it's something that could be practiced in other programs I don't think it's just limited to systems I think systems implements it very well mm -hmm. but I think other programs definitely have the potential to have that as well I see yeah and definitely, like, in bigger programs, like, I'm in computer science, and it's definitely a larger program than systems design. And it's one of those things where you're taking classes with people you don't know if they're in the same program with you or not. Like, a lot of them are in math, a lot of them are, like, CPA, or in just general math. Like, there's a lot of different programs in all the classes you take. So, in that case, there's not that, like, idea, like, oh, you, like, talk to the person next to you, but they might not be in computer science, right? And you, like, don't really know everyone in the program. So, I mean, yeah, it's definitely not, I would say, a family dynamic at all in computer science compared to maybe what she's experiencing. But, I mean, like, there's always ways to, like, get to know people in computer science. But, yeah, like, I think larger programs definitely have a much harder time 
at like giving you that kind of community, which I think is extremely like valuable. I think that's a really good thing to have. Yeah. Yeah. So, so I do think that that's another factor that high school students should be looking into when they're looking at university programs is if they're social people, then I think it's good to have an understanding of how social the program is so they can benefit from that, that, that feature, I guess. Mm. So, yeah. the, other, the other, I guess, difference between, I guess, more specifically the engineering faculty as opposed to the math, like, say, for example, the math faculty, is like the freedom in the selection of your courses. Uh, I know you were just doing course selections for your <laughs> yes. next upcoming term, and uh, you had all these options laid out, and you could sort of have more flexibility in structuring your, your daily schedule, whereas in programs like engineering, you're, you're often faced with maybe just one or two free electives, and all the other courses you're taking are mandatory and fixed for a very long period of time until you reach, say, like fourth year. Um, and that's another thing to, to, to consider, because this... Freedom and flexibility in arranging your courses and picking what you want to learn can be advantage, but also a disadvantage. Yes, um, yes. When you're in a large class size with more than 300 people and everybody's got a unique combination of classes lined up in their schedule, it's hard to, like, if, if you're already feeling uncertain about the choices you've made and the courses you're taking, like, that doesn't really help your confidence. And uh, it's overwhelming. But at the same time, if you have the perspective shift, you can also take the, this as an advantage because you can see what different combinations are working out to and uh, perhaps even let those differences guide your decisions later on in your undergraduate career. So yeah. I guess, yeah, being social and how social your program is is also a really important factor. The other thing that Maggie mentioned was the competitive nature of the program, which is... I think a common thing yeah. like within this institution um, doesn't have to be engineering or math, but one thing she mentioned was academic standing and knowing where you stand. And there was recently like a survey of for the students on whether they would like a percentile displayed to them as opposed to like an actual ranking out of however many students. And I was just curious as to like how, what kind of effect that has on both of you. Like, and what you would prefer? Well, um, I, I actually just heard about this whole engineering ranking thing. I thought that was like, I didn't know about that at all. Because I know, I don't think any other faculty besides engineering that does that type of explicit ranking of their students. And I don't know, that sounds like really, I don't know. I, when I heard that, I was like, wow, that's 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 kind of intense. So I was like, for people to be like, okay, I'm like number five. Like, I'm number like 50 or something. I'm like, that sounds really like... That can really cause some, I think, problems. But I mean, it sounds nice in the sense that you get an explicit idea of where you are. But I mean, that can be done in other ways. I feel, and I feel like the way they do it, rankings. I can, I can definitely see people like either getting super, super like pretentious about it, or like super, super depressed about it. So I don't know why they do it like that, honestly. Mm -hmm. Like to my understanding, I think they made this like, um, like. Finding out about where you are in the class, I think they made that optional. Whereas before, uh, what they would do is they would send you an email right. with a PDF and then you yeah. were kind of forced to look at it. Exactly. So I think <laughs> now the situation is better because yeah. now you can choose not to look at it. Exactly. And kind of just not worry about where you are as long as you pass your courses. Um, so to me, like I think they made the right decision. Mm. Um, yeah, that's about it. Cool.
Do you think like a percentile like way of doing it would be better? Like maybe. I don't like for me percentiles are confusing because they don't give me like a like it's not like yeah. you're number five or like yeah. six, right? Mm-hmm. So I think they convey the same idea, and like they could both stress the students out because it's not like a very low percentile. Yeah, exactly. Well, that's, that's true. And it's all relative, right? Mm-hmm. Like the, your sample is probably just like I think just your class, right? Not not the entire faculty of engineering. Right. The only, the only time they do that is when they consider you for like the dean's list or whatever. But um, yeah. uh, as Maggie mentioned in her interview, this the competitive nature of the program, being, things like seeing your mark on, on Kratma. Yeah, where you can, like, uh, where see, you can yeah. see like where you are on that bell curve distribution is mm-hmm. it's a it's a double edged sword, uh, because like you know, it, it can stress students out, emotionally detrimental sometimes, quite de- demoralizing. Find out you're on the out on the low end of the bell curve, but again, like I want to stress, perspective shifts. Like it's also a tool for students to have a reality check and to really see where they stand, uh, and to really figure out which areas they need to be improved. And Maggie makes a great, great statement. She says it's a necessary suckiness, yes, <laughs> um, as as part of the the entire experience, and you know. I think it's for in, at least in first year, it's it's a really good wake up call, just because people are coming in from different high school structures. I think it'll be it'd be really helpful in the first year, but I think as time goes on, like you probably don't care about your percentile anymore, do you? Or uh, not as much. Yeah, and yeah, it's it becomes I guess at least in my opinion less significant over time. It's not that big of a deal. My name is Aliana Evangelista, and I'm in the Kinesiology Co-op program. What do you think had the greatest influence on your program decision? Uh, primarily, it was my parents, because they're very strict. Um, they assume that being a doctor is super prestigious, and so they wanted me to pursue it, and were, of course, quite ecstatic when they heard that I did want to pursue medical school. And because I brought up the prospects of me not wanting to do it, they got really disappointed and actually kind of forced me to stay in my program. It's not bad. It's just it's not who I am. So I'm trying to convince them that I don't really like it. Um, But it is quite a process. Does being in your program constantly stress you out? Yes, it does. Because my brain isn't really oriented in the way that kinesiologists think of. Um, They think of 3D applications in sort of planes and movements where the muscles move in certain axes or axes and different functions. And I just don't understand it. My brain works in math and biology and chemistry and things like that, not the way that the body moves. So I'm having a really hard time and I spend like hours studying and I still don't get it. I did terrible my kid midterm, even though I studied really hard. Ali is quite caught up in the dilemma of switching out of the program, sort of following an alternate path in the medical field. Because, yeah. well, again, I guess it's a, it's a, there's a distinction between her vision of what she wants for her career and what her parents want see her doing in the future, right? Mm-hmm. And there's a lot of things that can be discussed with this. Um, I like oh. to start with 
the whole idea of living your parents' dream, especially if you're you're from like an immigrant family that has only established themselves for maybe first or second generation. Um, I personally relate to this a lot because um, I'm also from an immigrant family. Uh, but a lot of times, especially the idea is that the parents that established themselves here in this new country are have a dream that includes seeing their kids successful, right? Mm-hmm. And their definition of success is was well established before they even thought of moving here. So maybe in their country of origin, success meant I don't know, securing a well-paid job, working as something that is viewed with as prestigious, mm-hmm. maybe like a doctor or a lawyer or I don't know, what have you. Sure. And part of that dream for, for the first generation would be seeing your kids achieve that um, as a result of their efforts in the first generation. So, but like, you know, when, when, when the second generation does come along and they're conditioned and raised in this new environment, they have other ideas. And mm-hmm. sometimes it works out and these two visions align with each other. Sometimes they don't. And I think what a lot of high school students experience as they transition into university is this argument with their parents or maybe not not like an intense argument but like just this disagreement between what they want and what their parents want in the end for their future yeah and i don't know do you want to talk a little bit about yeah like uh success yeah so like i think at least for me i feel pretty happy or pretty lucky that my parents aren't really the type that think that they need to tell me exactly what i need to do in the future like obviously they have their like inclinations and they have their like leanings but I think a better way to look at it is the fact that your parents kind of want to just give you the tools and like the character to be able to like that they feel confident enough that you will make decisions and that will lead to success in the future right so the idea that they raise you in a way that they know that you're someone that can go in the world and whatever way they want to go is going to like find success right because success isn't just defined by one job or having this much amount of money right like it's always like people have their different criteria of what success looks like to them right so i think it's a much better way of looking at it if you're able to kind of see it as something where you are just able to pursue what you think is going to lead to success and whether or not that necessarily pans out in the way that you want to or not i think is kind of irrelevant to like what success really is so yeah i feel like it's just kind of unfortunate that some people have parents that don't really share that type of view that feel like it's very it's a very (laughs) narrow criteria but at least for me that's what i kind of feel like my parents would don't really have that type of stringent view towards me going towards one one field in order to be successful and like i guess just to even back up from the whole university undergraduate career idea you know to to give you like an extreme example some I'll, i'll use the asian community as an example just because yeah. like i've watched some videos on this but like you'll have asian youtubers going out there and trying to make a living out of out of vlogging and like sketches and having a hard time trying to convince their parents that this is what they're going to be doing and to to is essentially define their success and a lot of the times that means not even thinking about pursuing higher education and learning from more unconventional ways, either through real experiences uh, in the industry and whatnot. The theme is that when you have these 
disagreements or distinct ideas. Essentially, a lot, a lot of times the second generation finds themselves having to prove their success to their parents and using unconventional ways. But like essentially when, you're, when, when they get to the point where that success is defined and shown to the first generation, the first generation then learns to accept that there is a difference in definition of success. And in the end, they're okay with that. They may have not been okay during the process, but in the end, when, when everything works out, it seems that they're okay with it and they open up to more unconventional paths. I would like to add yeah. one more thing, though, about parental influences. So I think Ali, the, the kinesiology student yeah. uh, we were just talking about, she had very strict parents who wanted her to become a doctor. And a lot of times, I think what happens is that parents would want the students to go into a certain program, and the students would kind of unknowingly just agree with it because... I guess there's a lot of confirmation bias yes. as to like, you know, whether this program is the right one for the student. And the student kind of like agrees to do it and then they go into the program, they find out that they don't like it. And I think what happens naturally is that they fall back on to like the fact that their parents are the ones that kind of force them into it. So I think that it's it's best if the students just have a better understanding of what they're getting themselves into so that they don't have this conflict with their parents where they're making the right decision for the first time around. Right. Yeah, and that leads to the theme of individual thinking. Um, you'll find that what a lot of first-year students realize now is that you have to think for yourself in a wide variety of situations when you're on your own now. And uh, that a lot of the times, reality isn't always what they expect. And we can hear this in our next interviewee, uh, who is going to introduce themselves. Okay, so my name is Peter Matos. My current program, or maybe better to say previous program, is the Math and Business Double Degree. Do you feel like you chose the right program? No, I do not, <laughs> to be uh, quite blunt. Okay. But, uh, yeah, basically, going into it, I was really interested in math, and I took a couple business courses in high school, and I heard that the program had like very high standards and lots of the people who finished it ended up with jobs already just out of university. So that's one of the biggest draws that uh, brought me into it. And I thought since it had the math and the business, it wouldn't be that bad. But as it turns out, once I got there, I realized the math wasn't what I thought it was going to be. It was very theoretical based rather than um, the practical math I was used to in high school. And I just, I really didn't enjoy it at all and it made me really stressed out and it just wasn't my thing and it wasn't meant for me. What do you think had the greatest influence on your program decision? Um, so specifically uh, probably two things. Um, the prospects of the program what I heard that uh, people were going into. And I also heard that the program was very versatile. You could do a lot of different things with it. I heard some people went to medical school after the program. Others got an MBA. Some people went even to like American universities after taking SATs. And also my parents had a major role in it. They uh, really pushed me to pursue a program like this because they also 
were uh, very interested in the different prospects that it provided for me, and they wanted me to get a good job coming out of university, so that's why I chose it. So, um, I know you kind of already touched on this, but does being in your program, or did being in your program constantly stress you out? Yeah, it was a, a lot of stress on me. Um, I'm, I've gotten like very high marks all my life, and coming here, and it's really difficult to get those high marks is a big uh, difference, a big step for me. So that was one thing. Another thing that uh, stressed me out was, of course, the workload. Universities, nothing like high school. You're constantly immersed in the work that you have to do. And the third thing was just the way that um, homework and assignments were dealt with. I didn't really like it in a way. I'm used to having homework after every lesson that I do. It involves the exact things that the teacher has taught. But instead, in the math faculty, we have assignments that we get weekly. And a lot of the time, the questions on the assignments are a little too complex to understand with what the material is in the notes. And you have to kind of come up with these abstract solutions to very difficult problems, which I didn't really like or enjoy. It's not really what I'm good at or what I like. Commentary for this interview is also includes a little segment from Alan's interview about brain functionality. <laughs> I don't know if there's another way to put it, yeah. but just expectations versus reality. Mm -hmm. um, so Peter talks about a lot of the influences on his, on his decision to go into the math program that he's currently trying to switch out of. Um, and it's all, it was all centered around the idea of like the end goal, the end result of getting a degree for this program. And what that does for you in the future. Like, Peter thinks pretty far ahead. Job stability, financial stability, you know. But, and again, like, here we have parents and their opinions coming into play as well, but not in the same sense as we saw in the previous interview. Um, this time it was, it was more of like a supportive role where the parents were encouraging Peter to choose a path that would essentially be able to provide in the end once you're finished this this career or undergraduate career and this just goes to show like you know parental influences can not always be bad they can at times be very supportive mm -hmm. if some of us are very fortunate to have that the other thing he talks about is versatility and the flexibility of options in the indie program itself and I think that's what a lot of people coming into the program or, or in, into university uh, like to have and I guess since you're in a program with more flexibility than engineering you want to elaborate a little bit more on that yeah yeah like he's also in math and business but I mean I think his flexibility is a little bit in terms of not necessarily the program like while you're in it but then what you can do with it afterwards but like math and business is quite like there's a lot of fields you can cover with that same kind of with computer science. I mean, like most people end up going to software development, but you also can go into like research and a bunch of other things. I think that definitely is a really big factor, especially when nowadays, a lot of times people aren't sure what jobs are still going to be available in like half a decade, which is kind of crazy if you think about it. But it's at the point where we have such an exponential like change in how like society is functioning now because of technology that it's like if you go for like a trade or something, 
that's very specific, or if you're training for one job only, it's an idea that, oh, well, what if that job in like a decade from now isn't going to be available anymore, right? You want to be able to have these kind of pivot options of being able to pivot into different jobs. And I think that's why versatility and flexibility right now is a big factor for a lot of people because it's not necessarily always going to hold that your job that you're looking for in the future is going to be there anymore. Yeah. yeah. And now I'd like to take, take the time to plug in the very commonly asked question in the engineering faculty. And this is posed to you, Doug. What is systems? <laughs> um, so systems design engineering is, we take a lot of different courses and from other engineering faculties as we take graphics, take a lot of software and also some chemical, I guess. And, um, and I think systems is, it really helps its students kind yeah. of set up for like the general engineering discipline, as in like having all this knowledge about um, these different engineering fields, uh, the students can choose what they want to go into. Uh, that being said, a lot of us go into software. Mm -hmm. And I think I was very fortunate to go into systems because I had done zero software development prior to coming to university. But after having kind of experienced what systems has to offer in that field, I, I, I really like software development. Mm -hmm. And right now my career is kind of, my career path is aligned with, I guess, the software development field. So I think in that sense, systems, although it's not the most well-defined engineering program, because it gives all these different flavors to uh, the different types of engineering uh, practices that are out there, uh, students can better choose from this broader range of possibilities. Mm -hmm. And I think that's what, that's, that's really helped me, especially in undergrad, because I wasn't like kind of forced down a very specific path, but rather I, I got to choose what I, what I want to do. Yeah. Something that just came to my head is probably like an, a good analogy for like choosing a versatile and flexible program as opposed to like a very specific and fixated program is essentially like walking to, into a restaurant and choosing the buffet option <laughs> as opposed to ordering a very specific dish that mm -hmm. only had so much to offer. Right. And so what I, I think the general trend now is for, for students in any, any discipline is to go for that buffet option. And really get a taste of little, a little bit of everything just to see what's out there and then sticking to one thing more often later on. And, it, and that's important, just to develop different perspectives, get different flavors of all the things that are out there. And uh, I guess the second part about this interview, Peter's interview, uh, is the shift in expectations for high school marks and university marks yeah. uh, and this is again just a result of uh, taking like the top the cream of the cream mm -hmm. from each high school and putting them all into the same class and essentially testing their or challenging their intelligence <laughs> in a university setting and when you find out that you're no longer the top of your class it really takes a toll yeah. on, on your self-confidence what, did, did either of you experience that coming into university? Um, I think we are definitely a lot of their programs do take, like you said, the cream of the crop, right? So it's definitely something where I think in high school, because we use our marks mainly for admission, that a lot of times people focus a lot on high school marks because it is something that you actually need in order to get into university, right? But then once you're in university, 
like marks do have its own like value in terms of like some employers look at it. Sometimes it's useful to get into certain programs, right? But otherwise, it doesn't have the same type of like weight to it. But I feel like still people think that like people still think that marks are like the big thing that they need to get good marks or else like or else something's gonna happen that's bad, right? So I mean, a lot of people base their identity, I think, on the facts that they have high marks, and the, when they come to university and they don't necessarily get like the greatest mark, like they not it's not like they, they fail necessarily, but they just don't get those high marks they're used to. It kind of takes away part of their identity, right? Which is pretty hard for people to deal with. But I mean, like you kind of just have to realize that most people are more than just their marks, right? And you have to figure out something about yourself that you can kind of identify with and kind of a control that's not just marks because marks are something that are very like extraneous very like not like a great determining factor for many things right so i think if you can figure out something else that you can define yourself on before like you come to university that isn't just marks i think you'll have a much easier time transitioning because it's not as big of a blow if you don't get like a 90 percent and above compared to someone who's that's their only thing that they're basically they need or else they don't know who they are being a 4A student right now, what would be the most major thing that you would use to define yourself? That, or you could identify yourself? Really? Well, it's definitely not marks. Yeah. And, yeah. I, and I wholeheartedly agree with what Nick just said yeah. in terms of you know having extracurricular activities and hobbies outside of school. I think that really helps with not caring as much about your performance. Academically, so I think for me it's like at this point it's a lot more about full time jobs and mm -hmm. kind of just trying to find find out what I want to do once I graduate. Mm -hmm. So in that sense, uh, school is more of like let's just like finish this marathon and like you know cross the finishing line. Yes. But outside of that, I think my hobbies also very much define who I am, and for that reason, uh, when I do poor on an exam, I think. I can always fall back onto my hobbies right. and also extracurricular activities mm -hmm. and kind of reaffirm that I am more than just my marks. And I think that really helps. So my suggestion to uh, first year students is to, I guess, like really try to participate in club activities and mm -hmm. also find some kind of hobby that has like as little to do with school as possible. Yes. So that you may find a different kind of identity. Oh, yeah. I completely agree with that as well. That's why we're doing this podcast. But <laughs> yeah. What else did I want to say about this interview? For those who are still like caught up with their academic performance and I guess mentality towards whether or not they, they're actually a good fit for their, for their program, um, something really interesting that Ali brought up was uh, her questioning of, do I have the brain functionality of a kinesiology major. Like, am I actually competent or capable of thinking like somebody who's a kinesiologist? And I don't, I don't know really what to make of that. Like, do you believe that there is, that engineers, or I guess anybody with a specific discipline is only capable of thinking a certain way? Um, I don't think that's necessarily true. I definitely think that with enough practice, you can kind of adjust your brain to think in a different, uh, within a different framework. Mm. So I know that Ali mentioned that she is 
quite mathy, and her brain is not wired for biology or chemistry. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I do think that, like, just based on my past experiences and, and what I've observed in my uh, peers, mm-hmm. that you could struggle with the subject at first, but eventually, like, if you just stick through with it, then you'll find a way to kind of make your brain um, think in a way that's suitable for that subject. Yeah. Interesting. And I, I don't know, like, 3D planes were, like, really abstract for me as well. <laughs> and then, like, I think, I remember back in high school, I was, I would think in terms of notes, because I played a lot of music, mm-hmm. and just the whole, like, idea of shifting from 2D to 3D was like, what? Mm-hmm. But now, like, I think mostly in 3D now, and, like, now I'm actually having a hard time with notes mm-hmm. in 2D. I'm just like, whoa, this is, this is weird. But, yeah, I totally agree with what you say. One One other question that... I had that arose after listening to the to the interviews was when it comes to expectations versus reality when is it actually appropriate to I guess update our expectations for any certain thing that we're speculating based on the information that we have and when is it appropriate to say no I don't want to do that and just continue striving for something that we initially want so like let's say to put that into example Let's say our my my end goal was my vision for pursuing environmental engineering was to uh, I don't know reduce pollution in the air in let's say China mm-hmm. and let's say that my my initial expectation for studying environmental engineering was to be able to do that but now that I'm actually in the program I realize that most of the work is actually centered around water resources mm-hmm. as opposed to air quality in this kind of situation would it be more appropriate for me to update my expectations now that i'm actually in the program to say that oh well i'm going to be doing water stuff now when i come out or should i continue i guess with my initial belief that i'm going to be doing air quality stuff and no matter what i do now like i got to continue and push for air quality related experiences even though I'm in a program of water resources, that sort of thing. I don't know if that really yeah, makes sense. Yeah, no, that makes sense. Okay. I, I think that, you know, it really depends on the alternative options that you have. As in, you go into environmental engineering, mm-hmm. let's say, and then you initially want to fix air pollution, mm-hmm. but you find out that your program deals with water resources, mm-hmm. then, like, you, you, I think you have to kind of determine whether that alternative is a worthy cause, one that is as worthy as what you initially set up to do. Right. Uh, otherwise, I think it's it's best if, like, if you don't feel that what you're doing is informed, then I think it's definitely, like, you should definitely try to readjust your, your path mm. so that you're you're going towards, you're moving towards uh, solving a worthy problem. Mm. Yeah, because definitely, like, there are a lot of, like, factors that come into you having, like, happiness in life, right, later down the road, like, I know, like, a lot of times, a lot of people think money is a big factor, like, where you live, like, what type of living conditions you are, which are, like, pretty important factors. But I think, ultimately, knowing that the work you do is important and that you actually believe in the work you're doing is the ultimate factor, I think, to having meaning in your life later on. And I think that definitely you have to keep that in consideration whenever you do, like, look to change your trajectory, if you do, based off of, like, updating your expectations, or you still want to have that type of meaning. Because if you lose that then in the end, it is very hard for people to ever kind of regain that. And they do feel quite like lost afterwards. Correction. Yeah. 
Okay. Uh, the last little bit of expectations I want to cover from Peter's interview is the whole expectations and realities of coming into university level coursework. And mm-hmm. he mentioned that the homework assignments were pretty hard, uh, involved a lot of complex ideas that were challenging to solve using mm-hmm. basic concepts covered in lectures. And I just want to go back to the definition of what is truly considered homework for university courses. Because, you know, it, he mentions in, in the in high school, it's for homework was essentially a repetition of whatever the instructor covers in, in class, right? And you do 50 variations of the same questions. Whereas now in university, you're, you're expected to take a basic example and extrapolate the concepts and apply them to things you haven't seen before. So like, with that in mind, what what do you guys consider homework? And does that always necessarily come from somebody else as a set of instructions? Like, do this. Yeah. yeah. Um, I think, yeah, like, I was in the same like math classes that he's talking about the assignment, so I, I definitely understand what he means. Like, when I first saw, saw that first written assignment, like, I looked it over, and then, like, this was two weeks before I was due, they first released it. And then I was looking it over just so to see if I could get a head start on it, right? And then I looked at all the questions. I'm like, huh, I don't really know how to do any of these. I'm like, maybe we'll learn it in the next two weeks. And then I'll come back a week later after we've supposedly learned everything for that assignment, right? And then I look at it again. I'm like, huh, I don't know how to do any of these questions still. I'm like, this is quite unfortunate. I'm like, I don't really know what to do now. I'm like, all these questions, I'm just like, I, I read it once and I read it twice and I read it like thrice and it doesn't make any more sense to me. So definitely it was like a big wake up call compared to like high school where it is just like one example done like in 50 different variations, right? So, I mean, it is like definitely hard. Like, well, I'm not going to say it's easy, but I mean, it is way more fun, I think, and interesting because like definitely when I was doing homework during high school, it was pretty like repetitive and pretty boring and pretty like mind numbing, right? Like it wasn't fun at all. But I feel like doing these problems where you actually have never seen it before, but able to kind of like twist things that you've learned before in a way to kind of adapt to that like question and use it, I think is way more interesting and way more like like engaging than you're ever going to get using like high school homework. So I think a lot of kids are scared of that type of thinking because they haven't really been doing it a lot. And I agree a lot of like high school material doesn't prepare you at all for that type of thinking. But I mean, it shouldn't be something that you're scared about because I think it is really way more fun than you can ever get from just like repeating like the derivative of like one thing like 30 times. Like it's so, so boring. Like no one likes that, honestly. So I mean, it's, it's scary, but it's definitely way more fun. I think it, you definitely want to do it in the future. Like you shouldn't be scared. Not to mention that repetition is not useful. Like it is useful in a lot of cases where yeah. practice does make better. However, like we're moving a step beyond that now. And uh, if you're interested in under, uh, learning more about the different levels of understanding you have of the concept, I encourage you to look up or Google um, Bloom's taxonomy of learning. You know, it's essentially a pyramid structure where there's different tiers of understanding. Mm-hmm. Um, if I remember from my vaguely, first being like able to solve a problem, and then you know somewhere up the ladder you're able to explain it and teach it to somebody, and then I, th- I think at another stage where you're able to do it like instinctively without even really putting some, like too much conscious thought into it. But what's really interesting, like, and this is a question for you, Ty, like mm-hmm. in fourth year now, now that you've gone through the majority of your courses in your undergraduate mm-hmm. career, like what's your definition of homework now? What does it look like to you? And is, is that the same kind of 
definition as homework expected from a first year uh, assistant student? Um, I think generally speaking, in university, uh, like Nick mentioned, um, assignments tend to be a lot more difficult, and like the first time you look at look at it, you may not necessarily understand what to do, like not even the first step. But I think just to extend upon what both of you said, when that happens, I think it's it's important to have faith that your professors are not trying to screw you over. Yes. <laughs> Rather, they 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 believe that they have taught you that everything that you need in order to solve that assignment. And what's important is taking a problem, this complex problem, and breaking it down into smaller components and being able to apply all the concepts that you learned in order to solve all those sub-problems and then combine it into like one giant solution in order to solve the overarching problem and i think that's where like true mastery happens is when you're able to take the smaller concepts and like combine them and solve a bigger problem i see yeah sure would that mean necessarily assigning yourself in a like further studying to improve understanding of like the little little compartments leading up to that giant solution I think, yeah, I think that's a good strategy for just about anything is like, if you have the ability to figure out what you don't know, I think it really helps with figuring out the bigger things that challenge you. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, going back to what you said about, you know, what defines homework, I think that good homework is supposed to uh, stretch your understanding Mm -hmm. and also, I guess, push your limits. Whereas, um, like Nick said, like homework in high school, they tend to be repetitive and they tend to focus on kind of like the, the simpler concepts that you learn, that, which you can use in order to combine, but they don't necessarily teach you how to combine them. Mm-hmm. Makes sense. Cool. The really good skill to have in university is essentially just being able to uh, figure out what you don't know and recognize as a first step that you don't know a lot, <laughs> even if you're in fourth year. <laughs> Yeah, And I guess the last plug to that part is essentially the whole co-op experience and how that really humbles you and shapes your attitude towards your own learning and taking responsibility for it. <clears throat> I know that and certainly with, through my work terms, I've often found that my most impactful and effective mentors don't actually have university degrees. They have a collection of experiences, uh, professional certifications, but essentially just a lot of like exposure to different situations where they have to think on their feet. And a lot of the times when you realize that, like I've come, at least I've come to learn that there's always something you can learn from everybody. And it doesn't matter what their background is, where they're coming from, what kind of education or training they've had, but whatever like you see that they're able to do is something worth taking notes on, essentially. Um, and I, I think, that's one of the aspects that makes like Waterloo, I guess we're promoting the, <laughs> the brand now, <laughs> so so progressive as like as institutions that it's it provides perspective not from just an academic side but also from an in- industry and real world application point of view to really help prepare the graduates for the real world and to bridge that connection between academics and and uh, what happens beyond graduation. Our last interviewer, uh, interviewee, uh, has an interesting segment on 
how he made his decisions for choosing his university program. I'm a first year student in uh, business administration and mathematics double degree program in uh, Waterloo and Norway. So I am an international student from China. Do you feel that the process in deciding and then choosing a program for university was easier? Easy or hard? Uh, actually, it's not that hard for me. I made all the choices by myself. It like, took me less than a week to finally decide on which program I want to go to. And yeah, it's an easy step for me. Could you tell us more a little bit about how you made that decision? What did you do in that week? Uh, for me, I, I, I actually don't have a special like interest of subject that I want to pursue on. So I just decided to uh, exclude all the subjects that I hate and all that left is like uh, business or, or kind of mathematics. So okay. I ended up in this double degree program. So by narrowing down the possibilities for a university program, you realized that this was a pretty easy choice, right? Uh, yeah, I think so. <clears throat> okay. When you figured out what area you wanted to go into, was it easy figuring out where, which school and which program matched your, your requirements? Uh, actually, the the way I figured out which program I want to go into is because I knew this double degree program uh, at Waterloo and Laurie a long time ago, and that's kind of uh, it's not that I need to find a program that university has. It's because I I knew this program that I went to these two universities. And, okay. Uh, I took a high school cooperative education program at University of Waterloo as a high school student. So I've studied at University of Waterloo for a term before I go into the university. So I know what the campus is like and I like the, the environment that the university has. And that's why I decided to come to Waterloo and join this program. Would you say there were there was a specific thing about this experience that influenced you to decide to come to Waterloo at the end of high school? Uh, I, mean, I like this kind of uh, environment that the university has and everyone here is kind of so practical and knew what they are going after. And I don't know why, but I just like this kind of university uh, environment here. So I decided to come here. Have you experienced other university settings? Uh, no. No, but this one left a good impression on you. So, um, yeah, I think so. I, yeah. I applied to a lot of other universities, but I ended up coming here. Okay. Um, aside from this co-op experience, were there any, any other influences that you think was pretty important in helping you decide to come to Waterloo? Uh, I mean, the school has a good reputation. and I uh, went to high school in Cambridge, which is pretty close from here, so... Uh, many of my like classmates and friends go to Waterloo when they graduate. Okay. And that's part of the reason why I came here. Ah, uh, okay, I see. All right. Uh, if you had a choice, and this is the fourth question, yeah. to transfer into a different program, uh, let's say within Waterloo, or not, 
Um, would you transfer? Uh, no. No? Because when I was applying for Universal World, I applied to three programs. And the reason why I choose the degree program is because uh, I heard that this is the most difficult one for students to get into, and all the other two choices of mine are easier to get into. So I decided that if I don't like this degree program, I can always switch into other programs if I okay. want. So, right. and yeah. whereas if you went into the other one and tried to switch in, it'd be harder, right? I don't think it's impossible. Oh, geez. Okay. So. So Tim is confident that he chose his program in, in his decision, essentially. Sorry, uh, Tim's confident that he chose his, his program wisely and correctly. Um, and he used a pretty interesting strategy that I wish I used <laughs> when I was trying to figure out what program I wanted to go. So rather instead of figuring out what he likes um, and what sorts of interests he had for for further study in higher education, he actually started off with the question uh, of what he didn't want to study and what he didn't like. And I think that's a really like efficient strategy. Like it's a process of elimination that essentially just takes out all the things that you don't want to be considering. And I don't know, like in your opinion, Ty, like would that make would that streamline the data processing step for high school students as they're trying to learn more about their options? I think using the process of elimination is definitely helpful and trying to figure out what you might be doing once you're out of school. Um, so as part of our project, we were kind of looking at existing solutions for finding careers that high school students might be interested in. And one of the sites uh, that we found interesting was called Inside Jobs. And essentially what they have is an extensive set of filters that you can use in order to filter out all the jobs that you wouldn't be interested in yeah. so that you can just look at the ones that you would be, would be interested in. And I think that's really helpful because that really cuts down the volume of data mm. and the amount of information that you have to look at. So I definitely recommend it as a strategy for high school students to use when they're trying to figure out what, they, what they're going to do after high school. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Anything you add? Yeah, so I definitely think that I've heard a lot of people also think that the process of elimination is a better method because honestly, a lot of times we think like against this mindset that there's only one path that we take that's the right one, right? And then the rest of the ones are almost like wrong in a way, right? But in reality, it's like there are a bunch of paths you can take like hundreds, thousands, right? And you can think of it almost as like a hundred of them are the ones that are suitable for you, right? Whether or not one of them is better than the other is obviously debatable, like it's depending on your criteria, right? But I mean all of them will lead to you being like happy with the choice you made. So, I mean, in that case, you don't need to always feel so stressed out about the fact that, oh, maybe this isn't the right one. Because honestly, you can just think of it as one of them that works for you, right? So it's not the end of the world if it's not necessarily the one. You can think that you want to do something else. That's great. But I mean, you eventually have to choose one thing and it's fine to just choose whatever thing you think you're going to be okay with. Mm -hmm. I think a good analogy here is a multiple choice question where you don't know what the answer is because I think a lot of times high school students they don't necessarily know exactly what they're going to do yeah. so they look at the the options that are given to them and I think just crossing out the ones that you know for sure are not the right one mm-hmm. uh, by doing that I think you can get closer to the right answer yeah that's a really good analogy I like that. also great test taking skill yes. yeah <laughs> <laughs> yeah uh, what was I going to say uh, to follow up with that uh, oh another really common strategy uh, for applications is for students to 
so you should essentially take a subset of all the available options. Um, and then, you know, instead of picking one from that subset, what I see a lot of people do is they pick the hardest one to get into admissions wise, and they, they just go for it with the, with the thought that if I don't end up liking this program, it'll be easier to switch out into another program from my same subset. Um, is, but like, this is, at least to my understanding, this is still an urban myth <laughs> that I don't really know the, whether or not it's true. So like, what do you guys think? Yeah, I have like, <laughs> I am very familiar with this topic because definitely with software engineering, computer science, they're very similar programs right here at Waterloo. And software engineering is the one where if you get into that one you know, in that program, it's much, much easier to transfer into computer science compared to the other way around where like computer science trying to transfer into software engineering is much more difficult, right? So, I mean, as someone who gone to both programs, it was definitely something where a lot of people just decided to go into software engineering because they were like, oh, it's okay. If I don't like it, then I'll just switch down to computer science, right? But I ended up choosing computer science instead because I thought that the things that I like had my criteria for, which were flexibility and the ability to choose different courses, and the fact that I didn't really like physics or chemistry, that's why I was doing like computer science, right? I mean, those were all good enough reasons for me to choose computer science. I mean, like some people still agree with those reasons, but they instead choose software engineering for that reason. I feel like that's just, it doesn't seem very intuitive to me. It seems kind of like, because transferring is not easy. It's not like you just like fill out a form and you're done. Like you have to change your courses. You have to do a lot of different things. So it's definitely added like stress and work to transfer into different programs. So I feel like if you know that like a certain program is better for you, then just take it. Like it's not necessarily always going to be better for you to go into like the hardest to get into program because once you get in it's like honestly as long as you like your program and you like what you're doing it doesn't matter whether or not you needed a 95 to get in or 90 like honestly it's very very like secondary in my opinion yeah so i i, I agree with nick because i don't think like perhaps it's a good strategy if you don't know exactly what you're going to be doing but uh, i've been looking at some data for university program transfers mm -hmm. and applications and there are a lot of applications for transfers but not all of them go through because the number of applications that are actually accepted in terms of a student wanting to transfer and actually being able to transfer is definitely less than half mm -hmm. and probably less than a quarter so your odds are not looking that great if you are thinking about transferring if you don't like your program i don't think that's the right strategy in terms of you know because it's a little risky because there if there's a there's a chance that you won't like your program and there's a pretty low chance that you'll be able to transfer to a different program from there. Cool. That being said, like a lot of the people that don't end up making that successful transfer often kind of like just, they scrap the whole effort like entirely and then they, they restart, right? As we've seen in a, uh, one of our interviews, um, they re like, which is fine, like taking a gap year to really sort sort your thoughts out and figure out what it is exactly that you want to be pursuing is not necessarily a bad thing a lot of people end up taking gap years after high school to either work or to to do as we just mentioned Anyways, i think yeah a good summary for that one is that it's probably not the best idea to go into a program with intention to transfer i feel like that's like <laughs> internal transfers are not easy mm -hmm. they're not always successful so like I don't think it's a good idea to go into a program being like, oh, it's okay, I'm transferring, right? Like, maybe not the best idea. So I feel like it's better just to kind of understand that internal transfer is much harder than just, like, getting into a program. So, yeah, see if you can get into a program that you know will be better for you right away. Yeah. yeah. 
hopefully this discussion has been helpful to you as a listener uh, and it's provided some perspective and insights uh, coming from first year, second year, and fourth year in STEM programs here. Okay. Well, I'd like to thank Ty for sharing his insights on his projects. And I think it's a great thing that you're doing with, with your fourth year design project. I really hope that whatever it is you end up producing as a result of your research uh, really does come into play in helping out high school students and when they're deciding on which programs they want to be studying at university. And I think that'll in turn, I guess, have a domino effect in improving the mental health situations, um, not just in the university environment, but also in a, on a high school level as well. And for all the listeners out there that are currently in first year and probably getting their midterm mark, marks back now, do you have anything to say to them? Um, now that you're almost out? Right. So... If it's the case that you failed a midterm or perhaps a few midterms, then I would say don't worry about it because even at fourth year, I'm failing exams. And for me, that's a, that's a huge thing because if I fail a course, that means I can't graduate. Hmm. But I think it's, it's still important to maintain um, some kind of mental stability and also uh, continue to focus on extracurricular activities and and try to keep your mental health up uh, rather than having these midterm exams affect the way you think about yourself. Hmm. Really good advice. As a second year student, you're caught in the middle of all this, like, thing, things, all these things going on. Uh, I'd say that I'll, I'll give you some advice for, your, for, for the co-op experience. If you're not getting interviews right now, don't worry about it because first year is the time where your students are essentially blank slates that are just starting to acquire experiences. And if you don't end up with a, securing a position for the term, don't worry about it. You are still allotted the same amount of time to continue to grow. And whether that means doing that on your own independently or doing that through an employer, it's the same thing. You make the most out of your time and most out of your situations. And that the interviews and job offers come along eventually. It's not a matter of if they come along, it's a matter of when. Um, and I guess you, yeah. Nick, being a first-year student, yes. uh, very close, very recent high school graduate, mm -hmm. uh, do you have any words of advice for our high school listeners out there? Yeah, so I mean, yeah, like definitely first midterms, like stressful very much so, more than I have ever felt in high school. But I mean... Definitely realize, as um, Ty said, that you don't want to let them kind of like bog you down mentally. And also the fact is that like, I feel like everyone like around here, the narrative is a lot about like the problems or like the negatives, right? But I mean, like there are positives, definitely. Like they're just not talked about as much. Like you can do well in your midterms. It's not like impossible to do well. So definitely don't think that you're coming into some like impossible, like obstacle. Like you guys can like overcome them as long as you do kind of develop those proper study habits, right? And definitely, yeah, just, I think, remember to understand that I feel like a better way to look at it is that the marks aren't necessarily what determines your success, but rather the kind of process leading up to those midterms. So whether or not you think you studied well, whether or not you think you understood the material in class, whether or not you did your, like, assignments on time, like, those are all things that I feel like are better indications of success in your courses 
rather than just the marks because the marks can obviously be like what most people look at but i mean sometimes it's outside your control maybe you just have a bad day right like you don't really know but i mean that doesn't mean that you don't know what you're doing so i think that just looking at kind of your process of your education rather than like the outcomes is a better way of determining whether or not you're successful in education i think is a much better way on your mental health too so yeah cool and with that if you'd like to further continue this discussion with the engineers of the boys chapter i encourage you to send us a message we're very responsive on our facebook page on facebook.com slash once again facebook.com ewbuw stay tuned for our next episodes on different things.